G'day, I'm Dr. Mark Miller for Bella Grace, and I'd like to have a chat with you about Bella Trim, our comprehensive weight management product. Now, most people early on will register a reduction in cravings associated with Bella Trim. How does it do that? Well, it does it by changing the levels of hormones that are associated with either hunger or satiety. It lowers the levels of ghrelin, a hunger hormone, and it raises the levels of GLP-1, the satiety hormone. As a result of that rebalancing act, you have fewer cravings. Net result, fewer trips to the snack cabinet where you may eat something that you shouldn't. It's comprehensive, it does a lot more than that though. There is an absolutely fascinating action on a metabolic switch called AMP kinase, AMPK. AMPK is associated with the preferential burning of fat as a metabolic fuel. And as a result, you have a reduction in visceral fat and, and reduction in waist circumference. It does more than that. It also helps regulate blood glucose. Blood glucose is a huge factor in weight management. And it does that by optimizing the actions of insulin. It also affects blood lipids. It lowers LDL, lowers triglycerides, all of those bad cholesterols that you hear about, at the same time as raising the levels of HDL, the good cholesterol. In addition for cardiovascular health, it also helps normalize blood pressure. There's more to it than that though. It also improves your microbiome. We do that by several ways. One, there's an ingredient in there that stimulates a greater diversity. And the other one is prebiotics, FOSS and GOSS, that help feed the good bacteria, gentrify your microbiome. So, Bella Trim, comprehensive, enjoy it. Cheers. Sign up for monthly auto ship and get a big discount. Visit pete.bellagraceglobal.com today. That's pete.bellagraceglobal.com today. It has one iron rule. Logic is an enemy and truth is a menace. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the live Pete Santilli show on this Wednesday, February 28th. It's now 9.05, just coming off of 
market ultra. Big, big, big things are happening right now. You should feel the momentum. You should feel the energy, the free energy. Wow, big show on Market Ultra. If you missed it, you need to go back and see it. As a matter of fact, we need to make sure that we bring copies of that show over to our channel. And I want everybody, if you're tuned into this show, to also give a subscribe. We're just hundreds away from reaching 80,000 subscribers over at LFA TV. They're the only quote-unquote network. Um, it'll, it'll probably be our, you know, our last quote-unquote network that we're involved in because I think they're doing such great work. Jeremy Harrell, um, Roger Stone. We just had Ryan Matta with our show, Market Ultra. We love it. Um, but give them a subscribe. Uh, we should be able to hit 80,000 subscribers if you guys respond to it okay um during the show i spent an exorbitant amount of time trying to convince everybody break out of the apathetic buzzardry right just break away from it because mark zuckerberg wants you surrendering to the collective why because he makes money on you as your little data slave just clicking away all right stop that break out of that start doing your part Everyone was like, oh, poor Will Johnson. He got to demonically, you know, canceled over at Facebook. And I say, Will Johnson should know better than that because we were canceled. Shoot, since I've been with Will Johnson mm. over at LFA, we've been canceled three times. Okay. I left Facebook. I, I mean, he reinvested back into Facebook. And guess what they did, Deb Santelli? Uh, good morning uh, to you. Good guess morning. what they did to Will Johnson? Yep. Hmm? Yep. Hitting him again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, good morning. Every, uh, good morning. Hi, how are you? Good, good morning good. to you. So, so here we are. Big things are happening. Uh, we're 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 uh, coming off of a Michigan smattering. Okay. Uh, mm. Nikki Haley is the equivalent of. Have you ever been driving down the road into a swarm of locusts and had one of them hit your windshield and it goes. Psh! <laughs> the nasty green ones. Yeah. That's Nikki Haley. Yeah. Okay. She, it's a smattering. Yeah. Uh, now, President Trump in our top news headline today, he did not say it publicly, but I'm going to speak on his behalf. Mm -hmm. You ready? In his brain, he's saying, why don't you go get me a freaking sandwich? Yes. Nikki Haley, who says, I just want you to know I'm going to stick in it. Yeah. You know what? That's like yeah. some freaking out of control chick that doesn't know how to manage the checkbook. Okay. Yeah. Uh, spending money like crazy. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's got her sugar daddy known as a multi-billionaire has been pumping money into her account. She earned zero. Right. And she's been spending money like a freaking hooch. Right. And that money's coming to a screeching halt. She lost South Carolina, says she's going to stay in it. She got pounded in Michigan, and now President Trump's saying, do us a favor. Go get me a sandwich. Okay? Yeah. She, she is still staying in the, in the race. There are a lot of people out there who are saying that she got over 200,000 votes, right? Uh, Trump got... Uh, 755 I think thousand I 
I put a an update up there for you. I think it was just an hour ago there. Mm. They it's all, it's like at 99% end. But um there are people out there uh, who are saying uh, that there are half of those people that voted for Nikki Haley are saying they would never vote for Trump under any circumstances, right? Uh, and and it, that person blocked me on <laughs> on X because I said it wasn't going to age very well that post that, that she put out. But um, you know you you look at it. Trump actually doubled. He's like near tripling the votes that he got in Michigan in 2016. Uh, there is a protest against Joe Biden in Michigan. Uh, I'm sure within the next couple of weeks, he's going to fix that. Um, but, uh, you know, people are saying, uh, listen, it's an open, it's an open primary. So, um, Republicans and Dem Democrats can vote for each other in the primaries there in Michigan. And I think that a lot of those people um, that voted for Nikki Haley, once again, uh, are, vote are Democrats voting for Nikki Haley and uh, to try to fill the gap between her and Trump. And she's loving it. She has said that she is not getting out of the race. Because she says that's over 200,000 people in the state of Michigan who um, who want someone different. They want her. So she's going to stay in there. And she completely glosses over the fact that over half of those voters uh, that voted for her are Democrats. Right? Yeah. There were uh, 100,000 voters or over 100,000 voters that voted non-committed because that is the newest uh islamic protest against uh we the people uh, i think out of everything that's happening is that is the most important thing that's happening in michigan that the islamic uh community in this country is they're flexing their muscle look at look that at, look at this mm -hmm. michigan uncommitted all right, let me tell you how bad it is and how significant it is, okay? Normally, when you get voters that are disenfranchised, right, what do yeah. they do? They just sit at home and say, ah, it's not going to be. In 2016, uh, President Trump was able to get people from the hills who uh -huh. were disenfranchised. They weren't going to vote, you know, because they had George Bush, you know. Everyone got sick and tired. And they didn't vote, right? Right. So President Trump energized a votership within our conservative circles, right? True. And they went and, and voted, right? Mm -hmm. And he won 2016. This time around, President Trump is not only trouncing, okay? He's got the Democrats right now who, in the primaries, you can't vote for a Republican, right? Mm -hmm. Can you? In the primaries where? If you're a registered Democrat... A registered Democrat. Can you switch in Michigan? You mean in the primary? 
in the, in the primary. Yeah. yeah, it's an open primary. You can vote for whoever you want. Oh, you can. Okay. Well, yeah. some of the states, like you're you're locked in. These people that are Democrats, literally, physically got up. You put money in their, you know, gas in their tank, and they drove in to cast a protest mm-hmm. to let the establishment know you want to put Joe Biden in our face. I mean, it 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 has gotten so disgusting. It's it's way, way, way beyond in a predatory fashion. The the guy is is literally you know, picking up dandelions when he gets off of mm-hmm. um, uh, Marine One helicopter. You yeah. see that? Uh, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I mean, it is really, really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we're looking at in Michigan. Um, I think you know a lot of people are saying that uh, Nikki Haley is going to break away and do exactly what RFK Jr. is doing, and that is run independently. Okay, so they're both going to be vote stripping, huh? Yes. Yep. If she does that, that, that is a huge problem. Will Democrats, will the same Democrats vote for her in a general election? Uh just to keep Trump out of office. Are they confident that Joe Biden has enough votes, right? I, I say um, vote early and vote often. Mm. Just kidding. No, he's kidding, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> he's kidding. I'm uh, just joking. So I'm I just do joking. Wanna, I do want to let you know there's, a new, uh, there's new information coming out about Fannie Willis, right? And this Nathan Wade guy and that attorney, uh, Bradley, whatever, I forget what his first name is, uh, Terrence Bradley. Um, One of the attorneys for the other defendants is now saying that Terrence Bradley told him, not in a text message and not in an email, but told him personally, that Fanny, that um, that Nathan Wade had a what is that a remote control remote control for their um, for Fanny Willis's garage door, and that they had sex in her office before she was the DA. That. That their relationship goes back a really long way. So, and they can't use it because it's only the attorney saying that he was told that, from what I'm understanding. That, that, that Terrence Bradley told him that, Pete. So, that's the newest thing. Of course. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's getting juicy now. Mm-hmm. Is it not? It is. Excuse me, uh, man, man, if I'm not talking, it's just dead air. Sorry about that. I had to oh, cough. Oh, I didn't know. I thought you... No, I know. I had to cough, and I, I apologize. Um, mm. I apologize. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, I have a, uh, a interview we need to get to because we have a guest coming up at 10 o'clock. You do? Um so, uh, what we're going to do uh, is we're gonna we're gonna play 
uh, that that interview right now, and it's uh, it's a powerful one. It's with Floyd Brown. You know who Floyd Brown is? Hmm? Uh, he. Well, I know that I know that you were interviewing him. Let me tell you, don't don't even hesitate. Yes. Well, the only reason is because I could hear your side of the interview, and not his. That's I understand. Most people don't watch my show, so I understand. No, I. No, I, I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying. <laughs> me, I could hear your side when you were recording. Yes, yeah, yeah, I'm not. No, I'm not picking on you, my darling. Thank you so much for wafting in here with your glittery self. You you're welcome. Okay, Floyd Brown. Uh, is the founder and owner of Western Journal. Yes, yes. He also started CBMJ, all right? Yeah. And he's a major shareholder in Patriot TV, Western Journal, I mean, through CBMJ, major, Uh right? Yes. He's behind all of that. But he's got a lot to say. He's a great journalist. He's got a lot to say about these attacks on Christian nationalists. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Here he is. My next guest, uh, Floyd Brown, is an American author, a speaker, a media commentator. Uh, He's also the founder of Citizens United uh, and the conservative website, the Western Journal. Uh, Mr. Brown has just finished a new groundbreaking book titled Counterpunch, touted as the Christian answer to Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. Counterpunch outlines a strategy for mobilizing a peaceful resistance that leads to collective action. And it's been a little while, Mr. Brown, since you've been on. Uh, the world has changed several times over since the last time I had you on. I think it might have been a year ago, possibly. Can you imagine how far we've come in a year? Uh, it's been a wild year. I mean, who would have ever expected that the Democratic Party would be attempting to put their leading opponent in prison? But obviously, it's been exposed to the entire world that that is their plan to try and put Donald Trump in jail. And uh, it's uh, right out of uh, Saul Linsky's playbook. And uh, they are trying to demonize Donald Trump as they're trying to demonize what they euphemistically call Christian nationalists, which is really a fake word invented by the left. And uh, so what we have to do is to continue to speak truth and uh, to speak truth to power. And uh, they uh, are always shocked at our ability to penetrate uh, into the psyche of the American people with the truth. And so, you know, we should all feel great because of the fact that our message is getting through. People are hearing it. They're being impacted. And as a result, I think we stand really on the verge of a major, major victory this fall. You know, uh, let's focus on Saul Alinsky's rules for radicals and, and tell our listening audience right now, you've heard about it, but have you actually opened it and taken a look at it? I say you. Our audience, 
Do you recommend that everyone, actually, it'll be pretty shocking. I'm going to tell you this right now. If you open up Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals, number one, see what the book was dedicated to, Lucifer. That's interesting. Uh, but mainly, everything that the left does that frustrates you, if you haven't read it, uh, then you're wondering, why are they doing that? Wait, I mean, this is a small group, a small minority group. Their tactics, one of their tactics is make it seem like we're much bigger than we actually are. They amplify through the media, uh, through, through the technocracy, all that. But if you want to know why you have such anxiety because of this small group of leftist radicals, it's in their own manual. Yeah, well, exactly what so doing, people often ask me, Pete, the question, why is politics so divisive? And the reason is, and people need to understand this, all of the modern major leaders of the Democrat Party, and I'm talking about Barack Obama, I'm talking about Hillary Clinton, and all of these major leaders were in essence mentored by Saul Alinsky. And Saul Alinsky, for those who don't know him, was the man that, that created this, this whole notion of a community organizer. And I think one of the best stories that tells you about Saul Alinsky was there was once a young, uh, aspiring community organizer that went to Chicago, met with with Saul Linsky and, 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 and said, you know, I'm so happy to be here. I'm going to help these people. I want to help, uh, you know, make sure that they have the food they need. I want to make sure they have the housing they need. I want to help them have a better life. And Saul Alinsky immediately bit his head off and said, you don't know what you're talking about. This is all about power. Focus on power. It's all about achieving power. And that's really in a snapshot, Pete, what Saul Alinsky was all about. And so they've created this whole notion of the power dynamic. They're always fighting for it. And, in, and we're not even engaged in the battle. But people ask, why are things divisive? Well, because Saul Alinsky teaches the way to that power is by dividing people and then stepping in and assuming the power that you can get through the the division of communities and the division of people. You know, uh, have you ever, I don't want to side um, swipe our conversation. Here. I'm just going to mention a name. And if you don't know it, that's okay. I, I want to encourage everybody to look up the following name. Have you ever heard of Charles Miriam? Uh, you know, I don't know Charles Miriam. Okay. I'm going to write it down though. Charles Miriam, because you mentioned Chicago. Okay. And Chicago politics, but Charles Miriam died 71 years ago. All right. And the progressive movement, they discovered that the progressive movement, you know, people weren't taken on to it. And he came up with a political strategy that everyone has embraced. And I'm just kind of curious. I'd like to do some research to see if even Saul Alinsky had studied Charles Miriam's tactics. And this is what I understand the divisiveness through Charles Miriam, Charles Miriam and the what they call the post-Civil War abolitionists. There's a, an entity behind the scenes that all these uh, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, all of them worship this political scientist. And their tactics are to do the following. Because I said, is it the communists that are behind the scenes? And somebody told me and proved the point too. his writings are 
spot on. Charles Merriam's tactics are to basically pit two, you know, polar opposites against each other. And through that, they basically go to the podium and solve the problem. But they cause the conflict. Com like, for instance, the communists against the capitalists, the Democrats against the Republicans. And the synthesis out of that, that divisive, you know, divide and conquer strategy was basically uh, invented and, and adopted and employed by Charles Miriam. And he's in the University of Chicago, his writings, pretty deep. But Saul Alinsky himself wrote a, it's almost a street tactical manual, is it, for how to get your people constantly energized to go fight for a cause, right? Whatever that cause is, it could be manufactured, right? Right. And attack, 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 attack. And, um, you know, they, 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 he has a series of rules and probably the most famous is rule 13, which is, you know, pick a target, freeze it, personalize it, polarize it. And, you know, you can see as um, we watch modern politics, how they pick and choose people, they kind of freeze it and then they 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 polarize everybody because the the dynamic that they're attempting to achieve, Pete, is to create a situation where their opponent has absolutely no possibility of any sympathy they want to demonize someone to the point where they, they that that no one you know even wants to be known or associated with them and so that's uh what 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 they what they what they practice uh functionally uh on the ground and it's you know you you, you see it all the time you see it in senate races congressional races you definitely see it in this presidential race because you know since the day he came down the escalator they have done nothing but demonize and lie about and tell mistruths about donald j trump president trump you know was was has has been under unbelievable non-stop assault since the day he entered politics you know um Ridicule is an understatement. I mean, to call what they do to President Trump ridicule, but it's right in their manual that they believe that ridicule is one of the most powerful weapon that man has available. And they master, you know, the art. Well, they, 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 they he writes that. Saul Linsky writes that ridicule is your most powerful weapon. Right. And he, he, he in particular focuses on, uh, quote, holding people to their own standards. And uh, they, they often do this with with conservatives by, uh, you know, trying to hold them really to a, a higher standard than than they hold themselves. Um, you, you see this in a lot of the attacks on, you know, like somebody they'll attack somebody uh, for, you know, a sexual indiscretion while their whole movement embraces 
you know, sexual indiscretion and free sex and free love. And you want to have sex with anybody, anything, anytime. But then if a conservative, you know, steps out of line and has a has a has a has a, a, a an inappropriate relationship, they will just hammer, 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 hammer that home uh, like they have done with Donald J. Trump. You know, they they bring up these relationships that he had, you know, 20 and 30 years ago. Uh, and, uh, you know, they call him a womanizer, they, 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 all of these names, but, you know, that's a Donald Trump of years ago and, uh, nothing like, uh, uh, the Donald Trump of today, whereas Bill Clinton, you know, has relations in the Oval Office of the White House with an intern and somehow that's okay. And, uh, you know, uh, making the enemy live up to its own set of rules and let's uh, let's talk about christianity you know they're you know it, it's it's as if they lecture you know christians like you're not being christian by being welcoming and embracing the lgbtq movement you're wanting you like the first amendment but you want to ban books just because they mention sex in those books i mean i just i i, I heard a leftist journalist from uh, New York Times interviewing some the girl from uh, Libs from TikTok. And she's like, well, why would you want to ban books? She started attacking her uh, because she wanted to eliminate any books that dealt with pornographic, you know, books that uh, essentially were pornographic in nature. But yeah, she came at her from the angle of this is the First Amendment. Why do you want to ban books? Yeah, there's a, there's a difference between, you know, having the right to speak freely and obscenity. And, um, you know, frankly, most conservatives are are unwilling to talk about some of these obscene stuff in these books that uh, are in elementary school libraries. And so it uh, you know, it, it you know immediately a Christian leader is on the defensive because they don't want to talk about what's in these books. They don't want to look at them. But traditionally, the Supreme Court has had a carve out for the First Amendment when it comes to obscene material and especially um, pornographic and obscene material targeted at children and child porn. And so it uh, is totally appropriate to keep those books out of elementary schools. And it's uh, entirely appropriate to keep them out of public libraries. This doesn't mean that, you know, adults can't, you know, uh, access this stuff they do america's a country that's uh, literally the entire nation is addicted to porn um because you know it's the most profitable of all the products on the internet so you know you, you constantly have these big tech companies like you know facebook which through instagram a soft porn site drives people to hardcore porn and makes millions and millions doing it google uh, that uh, protected back page for years because they were making literally hundreds of millions of dollars referring search traffic to back page which was a, a a page that was trafficking in women and uh, basically was used as a as a front for prostitution 
So these big these big companies have made mountains and mountains of money off of this most obscene material. Uh, and, and frankly, it's given America uh, today a, a, a culture that's like an open sewage pit. Uh, I yearn for the days when I was younger and, and this kind of obscene material wasn't one click away all the time on your phone but sadly it is today and um, uh, and 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 the supreme court has made it clear that this is not protected speech under the first amendment the first amendment was really uh you know targeted at uh political speech and religious speech and speech that uh you know is 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 important to the the free exercise of ideas and uh so it never it it, it, it would it would shock the founding fathers it would shock the founding fathers if they ever thought the first amendment was used to serve you know obscene material to little children excuse the expression i might be dating myself because i remember using an ibm typewriter you know one point in time but when did you it's, a, it's all right. I used one too. Okay. So. You did. Uh, with, with, with the ball on it. Remember that back in the day, the, the electric typewriter. So yeah, when I, did used, you... I used to have to figure out how to replace those ribbons. Oh yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, People don't learned... even know what we're talking about. No, they don't. I used to make fake IDs with those balls too. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Way back in the day when I was a youngster. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, I digress. Um, sir, when did you put ink to paper in your book, The Counterpunch? When did you start writing that? Because it takes time to get it published. Oh, I yeah, no, I, you were I published in, uh, and in fact, uh, the, so it was it was finished and off to the printer more than a year ago. But the interesting thing is in my book. I make a few predictions, and one of the predictions I make is that we're going to have a wave election and that America is going to be rescued by its citizens. And the reason it's going to happen is because of the subtitle of the book is an unlikely alliance of Americans coming together for faith and freedom. Yeah. And this unlikely alliance is Latino voters, black voters, legal immigrants that came here for the American dream and they see the American dream slipping away because of the obscene, um, you know, uh, open border and the economy that's in free fall. All of these issues, uh, their, their communities are being just savaged by. And so I believe, and I think you're going to see a, a sea change in the yeah. black community uh, in in, in uh, here in Arizona, where I live, all of the polling shows that uh, Latinos are breaking for Donald Trump. Oh, and yeah. this is a change. And the Democratic Party won't be able to to fight back against that. No. All right. So uh, and, and I'm going to phrase this in the form of a question. So I trust I mean, you I've got a lot of respect for your you know, your political acumen, per se. I mean, Western Journal, you, you guys are tier one, as far as I'm concerned, uh, as to a journalistic outlet. So uh, in 2016, just cursory, uh, you know, 50,000 foot view, 2016, President Trump got people out of the hills to come vote where they normally wouldn't. Maybe they were 
kind of disenfranchised, so they didn't. And that's us, America, you know, fly over America. And he got everybody to, to vote. This time I see something much more dangerous, okay? And this is those alliances that you're talking about. Now, I say it's dangerous because the opposition knows that, shoot, in 2016, they got stung because people came out and they voted in droves and, you know, and they say, oh, my goodness, we got, you know, we, we need to go to big tech and see if we can stop that from ever happening again. What is happening right now, nobody can stop because he's going to secure the black vote because all of this is backfiring. I mean, the more indictments, you see him getting cheered by the, you know, this, the, this, the, the, the inner city youths that are standing, you know, he's like, yeah, he's got street cred now. He just got, he just got arrested, you know, and Atlanta he, he just, residents. He just recently rented Madison Square Garden and he's going to do a rally in the middle of Manhattan. Huge. That that is Blueville Central right there. Ground zero. And if I'm going to make a prediction, he's going to pack out Madison Square Garden. Oh, yeah. So do you see what I'm saying? So put a question mark. Isn't it more dangerous because the enemy sees what they've got coming at them? Uh, everything is backfiring. They, they can't they can even go through with all these criminal trials. They will not be able to get a conviction and an arrest because on appeal, he'll be on release. There's no way. Uh, and I'm sure that the DOJ is upset because they didn't strike quick enough because they'll never be able to get a conviction uh, uh, and and re resolve an appeal. So isn't that dangerous that the other side sees that they're done? I mean, if we vote them out, they'll be done for 50 years. Yeah, well, and that's one of the reasons why I think they're doing things now to try and limit President Trump's ability to change policy. You see this around the Ukraine policy oh, because yeah. they're trying to, like, handcuff him so he can't settle that war in Ukraine. And uh, I call know, it a poison pill. They're putting right. these poison pills in in the legislation. Right. And and, and they're going to try and do it. And they may have some success in some areas, but I think that uh, it's going to be a historic wave election. I believe it's going to cement a Republican Congress. It's going to bring us a Republican Senate, and it's also going to bring us a Republican president who now knows what he's doing because he's not in his first term. He's going to have experience day one when he hits the ground running. He also knows all of the people that he brought in before that didn't stick with him. And he knows the people that did stick with him. And he can bring into his administration the people that hung with him till the very end and are still hanging with him today. And as a result of that, we're going to be able to see real changes in government. Mm -hmm. In chapter two of your book, I think we had this discussion uh, the first time you came on. Um, you said and used the term uniparty. It was really a year ago. It was something kind of. Brand yeah, no, no. I, I talk a lot about the uniparty because the you know my experience uh, in Washington. I lived there myself for for of 13 years. And what I learned is that, you know, when people come to town, uh, 
with 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 really good ideas and and i've been part of several wave elections uh the newt gingrich 1994 wave election and the tea party wave election uh during the obama years and 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 who and who can forget the huge MAGA wave uh, a lot of members of congress come to town and they have really good ideas but what happens is they're caught by the system and so it's ironic that it's Donald Trump who, you know, because of who he is, will never be captured by the system and he can actually fix things. So, I, you know, I feel good about the future and I think he will fix things. We'll turn the economy around. We'll shut down the border. We'll have a mass deportation and things will get better. And uh, they'll probably get better quite, quite quickly. And, uh, you know, I know, for example, I, I, uh, I know that people want to uh, get this woke agenda out of the Pentagon. I think President Trump will do that. He'll he'll appoint some key generals that will, will restore respect and integrity in the U.S. military. I think that he'll, you know, he, he, he was always a law enforcement president and he is going to bring some of the best people back in to law enforcement that I think will be will be fabulous leaders. I think he'll fix the Department of Justice, which today is nothing but a Department of Injustice, giving one political side a pass while they put, you know, somebody like Peter Navarro in jail. And, uh, you know, we had a whole host of of uh, Obama and now Biden officials that have lied to Congress repeatedly and um, and who were in contempt of Congress. And, uh, you know, what Peter Navarro did was absolutely appropriate. And the fact that he's in jail is uh, it's a stain on the entire country. Absolutely. And then the remaining moments that I have with you, two important topics. Um, Number one, the, you know, there's been protests down on the border. I mean, it's too little, too late to be down there at, uh, you know, the various entry points because 10 million plus have entered the interior and upwards of 18 million by the time this administration is gone. 18 million. Can you imagine that? Uh, to do, we would have to do a mass that's, deportation. That's, that's, the, that's more than half the size of the state of California. <sighs> Can you imagine that? We we would have to do a mass. I say we, not me. <laughs> I mean, you know, like Tom Holman's attitude uh, and President Trump. We'd have to do a mass deportation like we've never seen before, wouldn't we? And, he, I, and I think President Trump is the only one with the courage to do it. And I, I think he will. I do think so. I do think so. Um, and lastly, uh, I remember last year, I, you know, I, I'm a content producer with American Media Periscope, and I had been for you know, uh, for a couple of years. And I got an invite to a conference call and they said, hey, uh, CBMJ and, uh, and and Floyd Brown had, uh, uh, had had purchased American Media Periscope. And I just want to tell you this, I didn't get a chance. I didn't, I didn't purchase it. I, you know, I, I actually sold one of my companies to it and became a shareholder in it. Oh, I'm but sorry. I don't, yeah. I don't run it day to day. The CEO is a gentleman by the name of Brandon House. Oh, 
Right. Yes, that's correct. But I, I just wanted to tell you that at the time, uh, and, and this is my point here, when I heard that uh, American Media Periscope was to be affiliated in any way, shape or form with Western Journal, I, I was like, wow, Floyd and, and, and just any association whatsoever. And I did say that. I said, I'm, I'm all in. I want to help out however I can. And it has grown, and Brandon House is a good friend of mine as well, and I'm going to contribute however I can to the radio side. We're, we're teaming up to, to help do that. So I want to congratulate you for doing something that I believe is stunning the deep state. I don't think they expected a free speech platform to emerge in the fashion that it is, and I commend you. Uh, Brandon had not told me that uh, you were working with him, but I'm. I think that's great, Pete. I uh, I hope that uh, that uh, a lot of fruit is born from uh, working together with you. And I appreciate your show and 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 all of the fine work you've done to bring truth to people. Because uh, you know the mainstream media uh, is fake news. Donald Trump's right about that. ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, if you get caught in that infrastructure, you are going to, you know, become a left winger by osmosis. And, you know, to be a conservative in today's society, uh, you have to walk a different path to be a yeah. free thinker to, oh, to yes. um, you know, really get to know about what's actually going on. Yes. Uh, and we all know the issues around the, those 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 controversies, all of which, you know, Western Journal has paid a, a tremendous price for sticking with a lot of issues sure. uh, that uh, uh, we were you know, pretty can, much canceled can I by rephrase, big tech as a result. Can I rephrase so. that? You've paid a price. Yes. Uh, and then again, guess what? I see. And I will we'll end on this note. We're going a little bit over uh, the, the time. I promise you. But don't you love the beautiful ragtag bunch of God-centered, conservative patriots that will that are fighting for free speech? And that's my main point of emphasis is that that's what's emerging right now is a ragtag bunch of beautiful patriots. Remember those that had they didn't even have socks in the uh, in the right. in the boat with George Washington as they crossed the Delaware. Right. You know what? We'll never be able to sacrifice the way the founders did, no. because, you know, in terms of just the, the the physical wealth that the country that they established has, has created. I mean, um, you know, America is is a bountiful, bountiful country. But in terms of fighting up a big hill and uh, a ragtag team. I don't have any hesitation about what team I want to be on. Amen and, to that. Uh, yeah. uh, so, uh, you know, I always encourage people pick a team and stick with it. Yeah, My team. team are going to be those that are fighting for truth, freedom, the constitution, the American way. Right. And uh, faith and, I, and freedom. I, I, we I go forth about that. Faith and freedom. We go forth. Right. 
That's yeah. right. Sir, let everybody know uh, how they can, uh, of course, Western Journal, but uh, give your links, your, your social media. Yeah, well, so I'm, I'm just Floyd Brown at uh, X now. It used to be Twitter, but uh, at Floyd Brown, just my name. And if you want to contact me, you can message me there or uh, um, you can email me. My email is, is easy. It's just Floyd at WesternJournal.com. So uh, encourage people to come over to Western Journal. And uh, Pete, thank you for uh, this chance to visit. It's been great to catch up. And great great to have you back more, on. More frequently. Yeah, we do need to do that. As a matter of fact, you know, there's times where I grab just, a, I mean, Western Journal publishes bombshell articles. You know, I'll see like General Flynn. He's, uh, he'll publish an article on Western Journal. But, you know, uh, when when a major news story comes on, I'll, I'll, I'll bring you on. I'd love to have you uh, comments on some of the stuff that you're covering. But, sir, thank you. I appreciate your patriotism. God bless. God bless you, too. Thank you very much. Healthcare spending made up 5% of total U.S. GDP in 1960. In 2020, spending hit almost 20%. National polls show Americans believe healthcare prices and drug costs are among their top pocketbook concerns. Over the past 20 years, the runaway cost of health insurance has outpaced earnings and inflation, leaving our families with less freedom and less money. Families, small businesses, and individuals alike are struggling to find a way to pay for the health care they can't seem to afford. So how are we going to solve this problem? All over the world, technology is changing the way people and society connect and interact. The result? Countless industries are disrupted. But while the rest of the world has changed, insurance and the way we pay for health care remains broken and largely the same. What if there was a way we could all pay for health care that simply worked better and felt better than insurance? Well, today there is. We are Impact Health Sharing. We are a network of families, individuals, business owners, and small entrepreneurs who want to see the old way of doing things change. We use technology to connect tens of thousands of individuals and families across the nation to simply share and pay each other's medical bills. Old problems can be solved when people come together to leverage their sense of community with technology to control the cost of healthcare. Save as much as 30 to 70% on your healthcare costs. Get a free quote from Impact by visiting impactmyhealthshare.com. Click the link below or scan the QR code on the screen to visit our website automatically. Banks are supposed to be the safest placeholders for cash in the world, but in 2022, that changed. The Federal Reserve pulled out $2.5 trillion of liquidity out of the banks, and the Fed also changed the requirements so banks don't need to keep any funds on hand. This means banks are starved for liquidity and have now become very dangerous places to hold your assets. Get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, Ph.D. at 720-605-3900. Be sure to tell him Pete Santilli sent you. Better science leads to better outcomes. So by understanding the science in much more intimate detail, delivering a value product that is so different from anybody else, more effective, 
shareable, really tasty. All of these attributes are classic examples of true innovation. It's the most effective product I've seen in 30 years. So when we're stepping outside into seasonal changes, low humidity, sunlight, pollution, all of these things get communicated as stress on the top layer of skin that produces free radicals. And they're bad news for collagen networks. They're going to break down the collagen network and collapse that beautiful uh, tensile strength of your skin. And so that's how we end up with fine lines and wrinkles. Bella Grace is really an elevated formula. Bella Grace is better than the competition for very obvious reasons. First of all, we're delivering great collagen. We're delivering Verisol, which is the world's most studied form of collagen. So we're starting at a foundation that's really top-notch. So to protect your collagen against these kinds of assaults, what you really want is a nutrient that's going to specifically go to the skin, neutralize free radicals and do it really well, protect membranes and also have some anti-inflammatory properties to help dampen the signaling that really turns up expression of those scissor enzymes. And natural astaxanthin in the Bella Grace elixir is able to do all of those things. Every day you would have to eat six fillets of wild king salmon in order to get three milligrams of natural astaxanthin found in Bella Grace's elixir. But there's two other elements that we focus in on with our other key ingredients that are in the elixir, and that is astaxanthin and cat's claw. And the value of adding those two elements, in addition to the collagen, is centered on the formation of collagen in skin. So you activate all the processes that string the peptides and amino acids together. You're generating healthy, productive collagen. At the same time, you're also turning off the damaging pathways that break up collagen. So unless you take into account those components that optimize the process to make collagen and switch off the processes that destroy collagen, you're really missing the big picture. It's not enough to just consume the collagen. You have to link it all up and protect it. That's what Bella Grace does. So the elixir is really the perfect choice. It's shareable in a single unit. You get the right dose, so you're getting the correct benefits that match the clinical trials. And it also gave us the opportunity to have a great flavor. It's just yummy. In today's video, we would like to recommend some cool table tech that you can't miss. First, here's a one-handed mechanical gaming keyboard. You'll definitely have an experience. This keyboard is slim and has tactile switches, to say the least. All of your keyboard action keys are in one place and easy to reach for fast movement with customizable RGB backlights. You can choose from a variety of lighting effects to match your setup and mood. And you have five multimedia keys that you can bind into multiple different commands. So if you suck at video games, just buy this and cheat your way through using macros. 
Next, we have the gaming microphone for you. It's a super handy microphone that you can use in just a second. The microphone has really nice RGB lighting with six personalized RGB lighting modes that you can easily choose between with the click of a button. This is what the audio sounds like without the microphone. And this is what the audio sounds like with the microphone. And one of my personal favorite parts about this mic is that it has easy accessibility to the gain knob, which allows you to be able to change the volume and has a mute button. Then you can even listen to your playback audio in real time connecting your headphones to the microphone. Run quickly, 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 quick. So if you're looking for a gaming microphone, this one would be the perfect one for you. Next one, I promise. This must be the coolest tech that you can get on Temu. This is a life-size lightsaber. <laughs> well, kind of. This is the LED floor lamp for your setup. The remote that comes with the light is fully touch control and can be used to customize the light with over 300 different lighting effects. So you can create the perfect ambient setting. The light has a slim and modern design style that allows it to be able to fit almost anywhere around your room. If you're looking to change the look of your setup entirely, you must have a try. Last but not least, we want to recommend a reliable and stylish digital clock for you. Meet this digital wooden alarm clock. The clock comes with three alarms, LED display, sound control, and snooze do for your bed or office use. It has adjustable brightness settings that you can change depending on your aesthetic. Overall, the clock is sound controlled so that you can use it with your voice or just with a clap. One of the most underrated features of the clock is the wireless charging that you can use for your phone. In my opinion, this would be perfect for you. Overall, if you're on the lookout for some high quality electronic products, then Temu is definitely a good choice. show i think you're gonna enjoy my next guest and in interview um captain uh dan hanley and i i'm just gonna say it right up front hopefully he gets a chuckle while he's waiting in the in the green room is with all pilots that i first meet i was you know use the what is it, Airplane, uh, the movie? You know, you got the vector, Victor, Roger, Roger, okay? I just, I can't resist, and I'm going to have to bring it up, but he's a very, very serious uh, pilot. Captain Dan Hanley is a retired pilot who commenced flying 56 years ago uh, in 1968. At the age of 19, first as a civilian, then as a U.S. Naval aviator for 10 years, and finally... Uh, 25 years as a United Nations, uh, I'm sorry, United Nations, same thing, United Airlines uh, pilot. In 2003, he was illegally and permanently grounded for life as a United Airlines B-777 captain. Why? For speaking out about 9-11 and 9-11 related safety and security issues. He fought his case with the government for five years before his case was closed by the government without their reviewing the tiniest shred of evidence nor 
interviewing a single uh, witness. And I look forward to having this conversation with uh, Captain Hanley. Welcome to the Pete Santilli Show, sir. It's an, it's an honor to have you on, sir. Well, thank you for having me, Pete. It's an honor to be here with you. My goodness. Uh, I, you know, if, if you don't mind, um, you're going to have a lot to, to say, but I, I just want to foundational and just lay a couple of blocks here. All right. Um, uh, I'm a United States Marine. That should tell you a lot about my relationship with Navy pilots, right? I was an air winger, in fact. Hoorah. Yeah, hoorah is right. And, uh, sir, um, I was in aviation ordnance. Okay. It started out as a BB stacker and then all the way up to, you know, all armament systems on fixed wings and uh, fixed wing and, and rotary wing. Um, had a had a had a blast, as they say. Um, yeah. So, in the military, I got out of the military. I got out medical. I, it was a, a freak helicopter accident, so uh, honorably discharged, uh, service connected disability. Uh, but I went to work in the business world very successfully, and I've been a patriot my whole life. Is what I'm getting at. Um, I could have never imagined that, even with respect to you know, safety and security measures in our airports. When I used to get off, uh, I would be in the jetway. That was back in the day when my mom could run down the, um, you know, the, 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 the jetway, they called it, right? She, and she'd yes. hug me. I'd be halfway through. Can you imagine? She used to be able to come to the gate and greet me. I was a frequent flyer, and I'd come home and come home on leave. Um, but I could have never imagined that something like 9-11 would ever, would ever happen um, in the fashion that it did. And I believed that um, we had enemies overseas. And I was a patriot. I wanted to sign up for the U.S. Marshals right away. I was a Fox News. And I have to say this, a, a brainwashy. I was just cookie cutter off in the corner, Christian conservative you know, just paying attention to the mainstream narrative. And one day, and here's my long story short, one day I started looking at some of the anomalies, failures, one of which, and I'm a really, really good investigative journalist, okay? The 9-11 report and all that stuff. Uh, setting aside all the conspiracy theories, the cover-up was so huge that it prompted me to dig deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into all of the anomalies, including the lapses in security that originated. You ready? And I hope you can speak of this. Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, at the CIA station at the U.S. Embassy, nine of the 9-11 hijackers, their student visas, which had been declined by the assistant station chief, at the embassy by the assistant CIA director or station chief was overridden and approved for these 9-11 hijackers to enter the United States of America. And it was rubber stamped. The applications were wrong, but they were sent all the way through. And guess who did that, sir? I can't remember the gent's name. Was it O'Brien? John Brennan. John Brennan, that was it. Yeah, yeah now th this is... Uh, 
This is not a conspiracy theory. It's documented. I got it off of ABC News. I, I, I made a copy of it. I was just so floored by that. Now, we're talking about a security lapse. I mean, why would you let known terrorists, you know, and rubber stamp their student visas and let them through the jet of Saudi Arabia? You know, embassy. Why would that happen? That is a security lapse to the highest order. And we can conspiracy theorize all we want, but it's a security lapse, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, so then other anomalies uh, th that I discovered, and then all of a sudden you string them all together, and it looks like a like a cover up, and the cover up becomes almost bigger than the actual crime of perpetrating what they perpetrated. But this is what we do now. Thousands of American souls were lost on that day, day. Hundreds of thousands of people thereafter, as a result of the war on terror, shortly thereafter, have died. Millions of people and trillions of dollars have been spent ever since. And here we are, sir, together. And I don't want to let not one of those souls, and, and especially those that have fought and died in the war on terror, to have died in vain without continuing to expose the truth, sir. That's why it's an honor to have you on. Well, thank you, uh, Pete. It's an honor to be here. Like I said, uh, I'm going to be 75 in April, and I don't need to be doing this anymore, but I know too much about the lies of 9-11 to remain silent, so that's how, why I spearheaded the effort we're going to talk about tonight yep. or today. Yep. Uh, but you mentioned my uh, career and me being terminated, it practically destroyed my life. It ruined a 27-year marriage, alienated my two kids who blamed me for the divorce, still believe the official story, think I'm a whacked-out conspiracy nut and don't talk to me. I lost a 35-year career in aviation and my reputation as a pilot, and also uh, about $4 million in paid pension and stock. So I paid a heavy price, but that isn't, that isn't why I'm saying and doing what I'm doing. Right now, it's exactly what you, you said, the next again. The people that died over in the Middle East and South Asia, the soldiers that have died, the trillions that have been spent. But the next, there would have ne never have been a 9-11 commission had the next again not demanded it. And then it didn't occur until 14 months after the fact in November 2002. Uh, and Bush tried to block it the whole way. But they finally presented a whole series of questions that they wanted answered by the commission. And I interviewed a gent that worked with the next Ken and wrote a book. Um, as a matter of fact, I've got the book here. I'll plug it for him. It's unanswered questions, what the families asked and the 9-11 commission uh, ignored. Mm. And what they actually did, uh, of all those questions they asked, 70% were ignored. And of the 30%, only 10% were answered adequately. So that, that's totally unsatisfactory for these people out there who are still demanding answers. But the reason, well, let me back up. My, you gave me my resume already and my flight experience, and I don't want to boast on my accomplishments. That's not at all what I, I normally talk about. I just want to make the statement that with my experience, I could not have flown I, I, without reservation or embarrassment, I will state, I could not have flown the 9-11 flight profiles, and neither could the alleged Muslim hijackers. They were too inexperienced, and they were unqualified on the airplanes that have flown them. So what, 
We did. I actually started out with a Facebook group called 9-11 Pilot Whistleblowers. Mm. And we had a blog talk radio program. We were interviewing some pilots until we couldn't find any more who were willing to come on and testify what we were talking about. But uh, we finally launched the group we have right now. It's a, a global grassroots organization called 9-11 Pilot Whistleblowers. And we got a website at 911 Pilots and a YouTube channel at uh, 90, I'm sorry, 911pilots.org is the website, and the YouTube channel is at 911pilots. Uh, and the purpose of our organization is to show that there were no Muslim hijackers controlling the 911 aircraft, but that the aircraft were electronically hijacked and remotely controlled through employment of a system called the Uninterruptible Autopilot that enables a remote source to take complete control of the aircraft autopilot and flight management system, computer, and fly the aircraft to its target destination. Now, once the system is engaged, the pilots cannot disconnect it. They're along for the ride. And one of the goals of our organization has to been recruit, to recruit uh, highly trained and experienced pilots, whether they're active or retired, military or civilian from around the world. And I personally interview them on camera, was able to test the fact what I just said, that not only could the hijackers not have flown the profiles, but that they could not have flown the profiles themselves. And we've got these interviews on our, our website. We've only listed 10 of them. We were doing doing a lot of them, and then YouTube started taking them down, saying they were hate speech for whatever reason. Do you, do but, you, mind, uh, do you, do you mind, sir? I think you'll, you'll appreciate this, just because not everybody out there is a pilot, right? So, yeah, and you talk yeah. to a lot of people that are not pilots, but I know just enough about aviation just because of you know my my experience in the military um pretty technical and uh and i also had a friend who was vice president of um uh of beechcraft uh, uh the manufacturer actually and he used to take his bananas up i used to go flying all the time with him so i've learned a yeah. lot about uh so here's my question to you uh, maybe this will set us off. And everyone needs to just perk up here and listen for a second. When uh, when you're a pilot, uh, it doesn't matter what kind of plane it is. There's a angle of trajectory as you're coming in and you're landing or, you know, even your, your destination point. You've got certain waypoints to get there. You've got right. a trajectory. You've got altitude. You've got a lot of stuff going on. But I'm going to use... Landing. If you're using, let's say, instrument front flight rules or visual flight rules, and you're coming in on approach, there's so many different factors. You got wind. You've got your rate of descent. Um, you've got that that distance, your speed, and so many different factors like that. With a regular small plane at a slower speed, and you land on the runway, and you're supposed to land, hopefully on pavement, right? <laughs> That's yeah. what you want to have happen. But it's a little bit more difficult than that actually sounds. If somebody were to, you know, go up on a plane and try to land it for the first time without, you know, adding guidance at all, it's much more sophisticated, is it not? It is. It is, in fact. And that's why it's ludicrous that we've been led to believe that these pilots flew those aircraft. And we think... The reason that so many people fell for the story, which they did, there wasn't public outcry when they came out with the official story, is because most people aren't pilots. 
and they cannot conceive of this ludicrous notion that they flew the aircraft. Yeah, now I'm gonna now I'm gonna fast forward to 9/11. I'm talking about a rate when you're landing on uh, an airport runway. Yeah, everything has to pretty much you have to land it perfectly. And, and you need to consider so many different factors. You know, wind speed. You know, you've got the atmospheric interferences like that. You have to make certain adjustments uh, as, you're, as you're on approach and you're landing. Um, when you're going at the rate of speed of these jumbo jets, okay, and yes, the towers are huge, but at a distance and at that speed, if, if you're off by just a little bit, you're going to miss the towers completely. Exactly. But, the, the tires were 208 feet wide, and the wingspan was about 160 feet. Is and that, all of them head dead on. Okay. All head dead on. So is that not like taking a, a blow dart with a spear all right, and firing it a mile out and landing it right on a bullseye? Exactly. The close... <laughs> The closer rate at that speed, because they were just, I'll just say around 500 miles an hour. And some people argue that the plane couldn't have flown that, that fast at that low altitude. But ignoring that, they were at a very high closure rate. And you're exactly right. Had they been a few degrees off heading, they would have missed the building though entirely. As a matter of fact, if you look at United 175 that hit the south tower, the second airplane to hit the tower, about 12 seconds out, the aircraft rolls into a 30-degree angle of bank turn. And had the aircraft rolled in, not rolled in the bank at precisely that time, with that degree of bank, someone's computed that they would have missed the building line by about 800 feet. So one more, one more, that, one more point. Well, I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you. One more point no, here, and then I'm going to let you take it away here, just because uh, I, I want to. I learn right in front of our listening audience. So, uh, when I was at Miramar, uh, actually, we'd have Top Gun School back in the day in 1987, 88. You'd have a pilot uh, and his entire crew, if he qualified for Top Gun School, go to Miramar. And one of our pilots with our squadron at El Toro Marine Base, we went to Miramar, and we were practicing. Um, really, I'm going to call it remote control guidance of an F-18. And the pilots would have to come in on practice runs with their hands up on the canopy because their natural reaction is to grab the joystick. It was so accurate that we had to put tolerances in because the plane kept landing precisely in the same spot. And on aircraft carriers, they determined that if you do that, you're going to wear the non-skid off of the uh the flight deck. Now, why I bring this up is because a pilot without that remote control precision, guess what? No matter how good they are, and an F-18, you know, with instrument flight rail, you can pretty much accurately land an aircraft. But they're all over the place. I mean, it's yeah. they're, 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 without the guidance of either remote control, absolute precision, even the best of the best of the best, a Top Gun pilot will not be able to put the plane in the same spot with absolute precision. The best of the best of what we have. Is that correct? That's correct. And people don't realize that the navigation system on today's modern commercial jet aircraft is in fact derived from cruise missile technology. It's extremely accurate within a couple meters. If it gets programmed into that computer, that's where that airplane is going. And you can see that when the weather drops down below certain uh, weather minimum, visibility minimum, pilots are required to auto land the airplane. And I've done many of them. And 
the airplane touches down on uh, the touchdown zone and tracks right down the center line of the runway all by electronics. So right, here's my last question for you. I'm sorry to interrupt. So somebody like yourself with that much experience as an aviator. Um, if I were to tell you, all right, sir, uh, let's uh, let's just have you. Uh, we're going to do a practice run. You're going to fly at the highest rate of speed at the lowest altitude, and we want you to hit precisely where the World Trade Center towers need to be hit. Would you have a difficult time doing that? Yes, if not impossible. I'm, if not impossible. I've I've, I've interviewed fighter pilots. I, I wasn't a fighter pilot myself. I flew P3s in the Navy. But if, oh, I love if P3s. You, yeah. If, if uh, I interviewed two Pakistan Air Force wing commanders who had, and they were also Pakistan International Airline captains, and they, I asked them that specific question. I go, look, you've flown the high-performance jets. They said, there's no way, there's no way we could, especially not on the first attempt like they did. Mm -hmm. They said, maybe after many practice runs, we might be able to hit the building, but not with the precision that they struck the buildings that day. Because if you look at them, they're direct hits. Pentagon, too, all three of them are direct hits. First attempt. Not, not just direct hits, but let me overemphasize in an analogy. If you took a blow dart with a tiny little needle and had enough pressure to fire it one or two miles away to hit the center of the target precisely. And it's the first time that you've ever done a blow dart, a blow dart at two miles away, right? I mean, it's yes. that ridiculous. Yes. All right, so here's the inference, and I've always known about this. Isn't it amazing how shortly after 9-11, predator drones and military drones were the, 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 the latest and greatest trend? Because prior to 9-11, they weren't, were they? Well, no, but if you look at the the, uh, the Global Hawk and the uh, I can't, Predator, is that the other? Predator and Global Hawk, yeah. Yeah, right. I believe and, that they and were Israel has the her Hermes in the mid-90s. In the mid-90s, and it was top secret then, but they were publicly oh, trendy. Drones were, you know, a weapon of war, and a lot of people know, knew about them. The CIA used to run the, the big predators, uh, Israel with Hermes. Um, so, sir, the inferences here, uh, and, and, you know, I, I've even uh, dealt with the conspiracy theorists online. You know, I know how that whole thing worked. It was info fatigue. There was just so much disinformation out on the Internet. People are like, oh, my goodness, I'm staying away. But I had a theory. And I know now they have the ability to remotely control planes. And I knew about it in the late 80s that we had that ability. It was pretty, you know, it was secret yeah. then, but. Um, are, are you inferring that those planes could have been remotely controlled? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, I, you say. I, I'm, I'm certain of it myself. And wow. if you go, if people get on that 911pilots.org website, it's a pretty easy read. If they read the website and uh, watch the videos there, we, we present facts to them. And at the end of it, we say, you be the judge. Was it the hijackers or was it the uninterruptible autopilot system. And uh, we leave it to them by presenting them with facts about the uninterruptible autopilot system and about the hijack. And we back that up with the, uh, the pilot interviews that we've done. So, but if you want to talk about remote control and how far back it goes, we've yes, got sir. that on our website as well. Uh, if you go all the way back 80 years ago to 1944, towards the end of World War II, 
the Army Air Corps launched Operation Aphrodite in Europe, and what they did was take gutted out old B-17 bombers. They gutted them out to lighten the weight of the aircraft so they could load them with 30,000 pounds of Torpex, which was a highly incendiary compound. Now, pilots were required to make the takeoff, but once they got airborne, they'd bail out of the airplane and the, air, the aircraft were remotely guided to their targets in Europe. Now, this is 80 years ago, and we point out on the website as well that JFK's older brother, Joe, was actually killed on one of these top secret missions when uh, the airplane blew due to a malfunction before he could bail out of the aircraft. But you jump ahead, you said 1988. In 1984, NASA and the FAA conducted a joint crash test experiment uh, at a remote location, and they took uh, a four-engine commercial jet aircraft, a Boeing 720, loaded it up with crash dummies and cameras because they wanted to test crew and passenger survivability in the event of a crash landing. They flew it around the pattern several times, landing it by remote control. Nobody was on board before intentionally crash landing it. That was a full 17 years before 9-11. So mm. people don't want to believe a plane that big could be remotely controlled, but we've got films on our website, oh, yes. remote control page that Yep. We'll prove to them that it, it should be done. Now, here was my theory and why I was uh, so passionate about pursuing the truth however I could, factually, to the best of my ability, is that knowing full well that aircraft could be remotely controlled, any one of them, uh, that they're capable of doing that, in an emergency, why would they not remotely control a plane that's headed for you know, for a building? Exactly. Why would they not exactly. do it, was my question. Why did they not do it? Because they wanted the planes to hit the building. Sad, but uh, absolutely true. You are right now in what what country? Tell everybody. I'm in Pakistan. I live in Islamabad, Pakistan, and I'm not hiding out over here. I met, fell in love with a married a Pakistani 14 Congra years ago, and I've lived here ever since then. Congratulations so. to you, sir. And uh, what you. what uh, if you don't mind me asking, because I'm gonna uh, my line of questioning here is important. What took you to Islamabad, Pakistan? Because that's an important area, is it not, as it relates to the boogeyman? Oh, yeah. Well, I fell in love with this Pakistani lady, and I invited myself over for her birthday in 2009 and fell head over heels in love with her, and uh, we decided to marry. And uh, she has kids here, and now we got grandkids. And at the time, she was a news anchor for the biggest TV station in Pakistan. She didn't want to give up the job, so here we are. 14 years later. Wow, congratulations. I'm so happy for, for you and your, your lovely bride. Uh, I'll call her, right? Your lovely bride. Um, oh, was it just happenstance lovely. that you, you connected with somebody in Pakistan or were you pursuing um, some, some information uh, pertaining to what happened in Islamabad, Pakistan? No, I wasn't pursuing, I wasn't doing anything beyond what I'm do, do, doing with 9-11 pilot whistleblowers. Uh, but I did, uh, I was going to get to this later, but I went through a series, we, we, I say I, but I work with a group of people that we don't want to remain anonymous, but we decided to write letters to every relevant level and branch of the U.S. government about three years ago, and we started knowing full well that we were probably going to get stonewalled, which we did. They refused to answer letters, emails, wouldn't return phone calls or anything, and all we were asserting was the aircraft were remotely guided, and I can give you reasons why we believe that. And uh, 
because uh, they, we got nowhere with the U.S. government, we decided that because next to the next of kin, the group of people that was most harmed by the events of the lies of 9-11 was the two billion Muslims on the planet. And I'm sitting amongst 240 million of them here and know firsthand how they feel. Uh, so I was trying to get in to meet with the Prime Minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan, going to his military sector. Imran Khan? They, go ahead. Imran Khan, you said? Yes. Okay, that's an important name. Sorry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I I wrote the ISI, the Inter Services Intelligence, and uh, they invited me in. And uh, I talked to them about, for about an hour, not just about uninterrupted autopilots, but I work with other 9-11 truth groups out there. And uh, they took notes, was very interested in what I had to say, said they wanted to assign a film crew to me to do a documentary. The director general wanted to meet me. I was talking with the colonel at the time. And then the very next month, uh, Imran Khan got ousted and uh, that all fell apart. But uh, we've gone on from there because we're still trying to do it. We, we want to enlighten two billion Muslims that they were not, there were, there were no Muslim hijackers controlling those aircraft and that they've been trampled on as well as their religion for the last 22 years for crimes that Muslims did not commit. So what we did was go to the Organization of Islamic Cooperation in Jeddah. And uh, that's the, like the UN of uh, the Muslim world. They say they're the collective voice of the Muslim world. And we wrote letters, email, same thing. I made phone calls myself and we couldn't get a rise out of them. So that's where we are right now and we're not giving up. I've been trying to personally get on TV in uh, Kabul, Afghanistan, and uh, Tehran, Iran. There's a couple of stations there. Oh, the uh, Taliban won't. The Taliban won't let you on TV in Afghanistan because they're on the U.S. Uh, payroll now. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right, right, exactly. Uh, and 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 that's not too far from the truth. We're not just being uh, cynical. Um, the, the, the world is a very, very, uh, a very strange place, sir. Uh, I, I want you to, if, if you could, I want you to spend some time here. So, um, at what point did you say, oh my goodness, now, uh, I suspected things were very wrong. This is not right. Now I have some forensic evidence or some scientific proof to support my theory. Uh, when did you start speaking out about that? Well, let me think about that for a minute. Actually, when I first, my aha moment was when I found out about the uninterrupted autopilot, and that was in 2006. So I've, I've been out there preaching that uh, system for a long time, but it wasn't until I met a few years back a, a critical piece of evidence, and if I could, before I get into it, yes, sir. talk about uh, the... Saudi Arabian hijacker, 29-year-old Saudi Arabian hijacker named Hani Hanjur. He uh, came came to the, he was the supposed hijacker that flew American 77 into the Pentagon. He came to the States in the mid-90s and took flight training. And it was well-documented, he was a very poor student. I mean, New York Times, Chicago Tribune, ABC News, you name it. They reported afterwards he was a very poor student. 
He went back to Saudi Arabia and came back to the States before 9-11, and he was such a poor student that he tried to re-enroll in a school he had attended before, and they wouldn't take him because they didn't want to waste assets on him. Now, this was supposed to be the most highly trained of the four hijackers that flew the airplanes. So, what it was the maneuver he was supposed to perform? The aircraft took off from Washington Dulles heading for the West Coast. They got the cruise altitude for a while before it made a 180 turn, a U-turn back to the, uh, Washington and started its descent. At 7,000 feet, it commences this descending, accelerating, 330-degree corkscrew turn derived precisely at the surface, and that, that was a trick without skidding it at 500 knots to precisely strike the Office of Naval Intelligence uh, on its first attempt. Now, this same maneuver was replicated in a simulator and flown by highly experienced pilots who crashed the simulator when they tried doing this. Oh, yes. Yeah, we're led to believe Hani could fly the 757 he'd never flown before and perform this amazing feat. But it gets better, Pete. Mm-hmm. Hani, one month prior to 9-11, Hani goes to the freeway airport in Bowie, Maryland, and wants to run a Cessna 172, a little light single-engine prop job. And you do that when you show up at an airport and they don't know you, you got to prove you can fly. So you, they usually make you go up on an evaluation flight. Well, he didn't just go up on one. He went up on three of them with two separate instructors, a woman named Sherry Baxter and a, a man named Ben Connor. And they came back and reported to the chief flight instructor, Marcel Bernard, who I've talked to personally on the phone. He confirmed the story for me. Uh, they said, don't run him the airplane, he can't handle it. Now, this is a little thing, one month before 9-11, a little single engine airplane he can't handle. But what did Hanja do? He goes down the road to Congressional Air Charter, which was another fixed base operator, and went up flying with a guy named Eddie Shalev. And Eddie Shalev came back and said he was a good pilot. Now, all four of these pilots were interviewed by the FBI and a staffer from the 9-11 Commission. And the 9-11 Commission final report doesn't even mention what happened at Freeway Airport with the three instructors. They only mentioned Eddie Shalev's name once, where he said he was a good pilot. Now, who was Eddie Shalev? Not that this means anything, but he was an Israeli who came to the States a couple months before 9-11 and uh, contracted with Congressional Air Charter as an instructor. And after 9-11, Congressional Air Charter is closer to our and Eddie Shalev disappeared. We don't know if he went back to Israel or not, but uh, that that's the real smoking gun. Hani Hanjur couldn't fly, and uh, the reason the Pentagon hit was so important, you know, they could have hit the uh, Washington Monument or the Capitol Building or the White House, but they chose the Pentagon because it's a military installation, and they could declare an act of, it was an act of war and launch Operation Enduring Freedom into Afghanistan. Mm. Uh, also, uh, now, uh, that that area where, where the the plane uh, supposedly hit precisely at an right. office, what was that area that was, that was destroyed? Okay, it was the Office of Naval Intelligence, but it housed the Budget Analyst Office the day before 9-11. Rumsfeld stood up and said $2.3 trillion was missing from the defense budget. Mm. And the analysts 
that were in that office, there were 50, over 50 of them, over 30 of them were killed when American 77 hit the building. So was that an accident? I don't think so. Could they target it that accurately? Absolutely. 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 Um, Okay, here's uh, one other thing, and, I, I, and I, by the way, you can take take me back, you know, back on track if we need to. But I have an important question because uh, of the attitude uh, of the populace in Pakistan. Um, from what I understand, this is what I've been told secondhand, and I, I know Navy SEAL Team Six family members that were shot out of the sky in extortion seventeen, and they had some exposure to some information. But the overall populist attitude about Osama bin Laden. Uh, from what I understand, outside of the United States, he's pretty well known as a CIA asset from dating all the way back to the um, uh, the Afghan war. And of course, Brzezinski, you know, landing and handing the Mujahideen, you know, weapons right. and cash and so on and so forth. So uh, my question to you, and I'm hesitating here because I want to make sure I don't, I, I want to maintain the integrity of your work. I don't want to gum up with conspiracy theories here. Um, what is the overall attitude of the Pakistanis as it relates to Osama bin Laden? Did, did they know who he was? Oh yeah, they knew who he was. They did. The, the big debate is uh, whether or not he was killed in a body bar. And I don't, I don't want to go into too much here, Pete, because no. the ISI monitors everything here. Yes. And uh, politically, it's a pretty sensitive uh, issue is. to address. I, had a, I have a good friend here that I met through another whistleblower in the States. His name is Dr. Mujahid Cameron, and he's written 16 books, and one of them was 9-11, The New World Order. And this guy was a... 42-year physics professor at the University of Punjab, a large university, and was chair of the department for many years and was actually the longest serving vice chancellor, eight years as a vice chancellor. And he went on public TV here and made a statement about 9-11 and they drummed up charges and he lost his job, so. Uh, yes, very, very powerful forces and I respect you know, there's certain things we can stay away from. And I touched on something. I just want you to know, by the way, that the person, yeah. the person that worked for the Central Intelligence Agency who delivered a dialysis machine to Osama bin Laden with a doctor um, after Benghazi, he gave me uh, whistleblower testimony as to what he knew about Osama bin Laden. And I was able to get it filed into the federal court system. So anyways, that's a, wow. yeah, that's isn't great. that beautiful? That's great. So, go. sir, I want so. you to stay safe. Courageous, courageous, courageous work. Now, can I, I, I I'm going to make a, a, an admission here. I know a lot about 9-11, so much more than, Good. I never want any other human being to know as much as I know, <laughs> just because of what, we've had to navigate through. I went yeah. into this, I went into this interview uh, after having been briefed by Ashley as to who you were and what you were gonna talk about. And I said, I wanna hear him in his own words speak to me. I was told that you were gonna be in Islamabad, Pakistan. I said, okay. <laughs> and I wasn't skeptical. I just wanted to come in with a fresh mind. Yeah. You know, just not un uncontaminated. Why hasn't your information been put on blast worldwide at this point? Why has it not? This needs to be the featured story on every single internet site. Uh, I mean, this is, 
it's bombshell information. It's been around for how many years have you been, have you been working uh, this particular 22 story? 22 years. 22 years, but, right. But actually, 9-11 pilot whistleblowers was only uh, like 19, I mean, 2019 is when uh, we started it. Tell me about the obstacles in getting this information out, and let's start with the U.S. government. You started talking out, you're a uh, multi-decade experienced pilot. Um, talk about what happened when you mentioned something to the government and how they responded. Well, they wouldn't. Uh, I started out with the FBI, and I called them twice, and said, don't bug it, we'll call you, knowing I was going to get nowhere because I was a whistleblower on another federal issue dealing with the FBI, I know how corrupt they are. Yes. But uh, I, I went to the Ta uh, Transportation Security Administration because it is a tra uh, transportation security issue. I talked with a, a Marine for about 10, 15 minutes, he was very cordial. And he said, hey, why don't you go to uh, Boeing and the FAA? So I thought, that's an idea. So I went there and got my foot in the door and they assigned an aeronautical engineer from Seattle to our case. And uh, when he looked at it, he goes, we're gonna need more time on this. So I called the guy and was talking to him for about 10 minutes. He was very tight lipped and he, he wouldn't talk to me anymore. He, he wouldn't answer my phone calls or respond to emails or anything. So I, I contacted his boss in Washington when turn turned it back over to the FAA. And uh, long story short, I went from the FAA to the Secretary of Transportation to the Secretary, I mean, Transportation Inspector General. I went to the FBI, the Assistant Attorney General Criminal Division, the Attorney General, even to Averill Haynes, who's the Director of National Intelligence. Averill Haynes, Look. really? Yeah, I'm sorry, let me uh, overemphasize that one name you just mentioned. Yeah. She was in what position at the time you went to her? I didn't talk to her. I just sent her a certified letter. And when was that? Well, I'd have to go back and look. Steve. Approximately. It's probably been maybe a year and a half ago. A year and a half ago. Uh, are you aware that she was at Event 201? No. Okay, sir. This is significant. Uh, okay. Three weeks after the Wuhan lab release of the, uh, uh, the, the, the China virus... Averill uh -huh. Haynes was sitting next to the CCP's equivalent of the C CDC director. Yeah. Saying that they were going to do a tabletop exercise. That if a release of a virus from a lab takes place on the internet, how are we going to be able to contain such disinformation? And it was a, called Event 201. They had all the major players. Nobody knew how to spell covid and she was sitting in the room in the United States of America as a member of the CIA. Um, and guess what? Joe Biden promoted her to the director of national intelligence in charge of uh, investigating the lab leak. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that a coincidence? So you sent that letter well, to her. What do you think happened with your letter? Oh, well, the wrong file. <laughs> Yes. I, got, I, I need to connect started. with I you. Even went, we even went to the House of Representatives Government Oversight and Reform Committee, and I was trying to get through to their general counsel there. He mm -hmm. wouldn't return phone call. He, I had his email address. I sent him. I sent the uh, chairman of the committee a letter to all the other subcommittee members. It was a joint letter 
saying, hey, we're being stonewalled, you know, I'm a, I'm a whistleblower, here's what we're reporting, and these are the agencies of government that aren't doing their job, so nothing, absolutely nothing. That's, that's what they do. If you've got something hot, they ignore you. If you don't go away, they kill you. Yes, sir. You know what happened to me? I went to the Benghazi Select Committee, the senior um, counsel for the Benghazi Select Committee, in October uh -huh. of 2015. I provided, because of Benghazi, I provided all the information that I had, whistleblower recordings, two CIA, three FBI about Benghazi, and one of those CIA whistleblowers said that he delivered a dialysis machine to uh, Osama bin Laden in the hills of uh, of uh, Bora Bora, and that he knew yeah. he was a CIA asset because he was CIA, and he was doing something for, on behalf of the Central Intelligence Agency. And... Um, uh, what was it, three, four months later, I was in shackles. Really? <laughs> True story. But, you know, I'm a better person because of it. Um, sir, uh, let's get us back on track here. This is amazing, and I need to provide you with some additional information about Avril Haines, by the way. Um, okay. Is there anybody, because I believe that even in the weaponization, I was just recently in D.C., and I'm so cynical, I didn't want to meet any of them. I only wanted to meet one person. Um, Who's that? And that's Clay, uh, Congressman Clay Higgins, uh, okay. is really, I see him exposing the January 6th, you know, anomalies as, as it should be, uh, Clay Higgins. But if, if we do not consider in the weaponization of government hearings that the biggest weapon uh, being deployed uh, in the weaponization of government is Congress itself. Congress, yeah. half of them are former military intel and CIA, aren't they? Right. Yeah. So, so, well, so the other, the other influence you have there, Pete, is uh, the APAC that lobby and what they control. APAC, really? Yeah. Have you had some obstruction in that regard? Because Israel, in the twenty-eight pages released, the declassified twenty-eight pages, identified yeah. two entities for helping to facilitate 9-11, Israel and Saudi Arabia. Yes, right. Well, that's what I, that's what I personally believe. I haven't read David Icke's book, The Trigger, or I don't know if you know Christopher Mullen's book, not Solving 9-11, but they alluded to that fact that it was Israel involved. Through collusion with other agencies was involved with the planning and execution of 9-11. I don't... Our organization doesn't come out and even cite any of these, the, these issues other than the letters that are on our website. Yes, we yes, put sir. put them all on the website. Uh, now, I haven't combed through the website, but I'm going to tell you, after this discussion that you and I uh, uh, have had, I want to be a huge advocate for all of your publishings. And I, I like how you, you know, you, you got to stay in your lane and stay focused. You can get stuff done because otherwise right. they'll, I mean, even through this conversation, if we conspiracy theorize, they're going to demonize you because we were, you know, off in the weeds about stuff that hasn't been factually proven. But now right. let's go back to, if you don't mind, when you blew the whistle, did you become a formal uh, government whistleblower? Did you achieve that status? Yes, I have, because I've gone to all these, uh, all the way up to the president, and I wrote Biden knowing he wasn't going to read it. I figured maybe somebody on his staff, but I introduced myself. I am a U.S. federal whistleblower whose rights as such have been denied by the U.S. government, and I go into detail explaining how and why 
And it wasn't just what I'm doing now. It was my grounding I also reported. And there's another side to what I've reported, and that is after 9-11, United Airlines filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and they terminated a $10 billion pension fund. And I found out from a millionaire in Chicago asked me to work with him uh, that the judge, I'll be careful here, he had claimed he had evidence that alleged that the job was mobbed up. And uh, so, can you repeat that again? You broke up that who was mobbed up? The federal judge, presiding judge over the United bankruptcy. Really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I report I spent five years on that Pete. I reported I was up in Washington kicking down doors, uh, holding my breath when I started my car because the mob was involved thinking maybe I there you go. You got the website. I'm thinking maybe. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, this is exactly highly skilled pilots. Good. If you scroll up right now, Pete, and about halfway up the page, you'll see letters. You got to keep going, keep going. Right there. Those are all letters. That isn't an all-inclusive list, but we hyperlink the letters of people that we wrote to. Mm -hmm. That today, no, that's me talking about what I just did about the FAA stonewalling us. So it's got a lot of information on the website and the letters are worth reading. Uh, outstanding. And and I hope you don't mind just because of the level of knowledge. And I just told you, I actually provided whistleblower testimony about some of these things. I mean, it's legally and factually correct. Some of the stuff that I stated and, and it's in the possession of the federal government, but I know yeah. how they operate. Um, right. I wanted to find out where you were in the scheme of things. I, I took a look at it, but I wanted to come into this interview with with a fresh mind, just being receptive to everything, right? And untainted with all the other stuff that I know. Sir, yeah. um, your organization now is a consortium of other credible, unimpeachable, skilled experts in aviation that have come together to, to also say... It's impossible that 9-11 happened in the fashion that it did. Is that correct? That's correct. They could serve. Uh, and I asked them this question, would you be willing to serve as an expert witness in a grand, before a grand jury or a federal court of law? Mm -hmm. And they say absolutely, because you know what weight an expert witness carries in giving testimony. So it, our organization doesn't just consist of pilots from around the world, but we've got a join us page at the top of the website there. All we need is your name, name and phone, uh, email address, and we'll put you on our, see the join us up there, there you go. All, all we need is your name and email address, and you go on our, our mailing list. So we've also got people from all over the world that, excuse me, that are tracking on this thing. Okay, and we're talking about uh, uh, pilots throughout the entire world, correct? That, that's correct. Okay. Um, all right, now I need to spend the remaining moments with you. Oh, I'm telling you, you've got me so fired up right now. So fired Good. up. I mean, we, we we are all we're all patriots. We are. Exactly. We are. That's and, why I'm doing this. I'm people people accuse me of uh, not being a patriot, but that's exactly the opposite of what I consider myself to be. Oh no, you're a patriot, sir. And uh, you know, I think now, even over the decades, you've been trying to get the truth out. Do you believe that the 
that the population of the world, for that matter, especially in light of what you know, they now know about COVID, uh, we see this, the, the statistics. You know, only 1% of everybody now is getting those, you know, successive boosters. Everyone is revolted against the yeah. establishment. They're against this globalist regime. The people are coming awake. Do you believe that they're more receptive to this information can help you, you know, push the truth out? Yes, because of programs like yours, and I've seen other programs I won't mention, but... Uh, no, no, I want you to mention them. Mention them because oh, I, no, well, somebody Stu, is... I was on Stu Peters. I wasn't on... Uh, 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 I can't think of the guy's name. Not Joe Rogan. I wasn't on him. But Alec, even he, he's Alex Jones? What about Alex um, Jones? Oh, God, I can't think of the guy's name. I can see his face right now, but I, I'm i trying to get on all those programs. But like I said, our target audience right now, there's 2 billion disenfranchised Muslims in the world that would be very receptive or are very receptive to our mantra that there were no Muslim hijackers under control because it exonerates uh, the Islamic world. Mm-hmm. What about um, uh, what? Is, and, and, and of course, we can, we can only theorize. Um, what, what, what? I'll use October seventh. I have it. Uh, I dug into the Holy Land Foundation uh, trials, and I saw the FBI reports that showed that tens of millions of dollars was being funneled to humanitarian organizations in Gaza. Uh, the U.S. Treasury approved this money going there. Well, guess who was behind the treasure, the uh, uh, humanitarian NGOs? Hamas. We literally financed <laughs> uh, through the Muslim Brotherhood's efforts. Um, wow. We financed the Hamas. Now, Hamas, that doesn't mean that all Muslims are bad people because Hamas was right. financed by Barack Obama. Um, right. Here's my question to you. Uh, They've done a really good job of destroying uh, and demonizing billions of people that follow the Islamic right. faith, correct? Correct. Who do you believe is running the global Islamic terrorism that is so... I can't, I can't answer that question, Pete. I really don't know. You haven't done any research. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I don't mean to put you on the spot if you haven't done the research. Um uh, but it, it certainly uh, billions of people that follow the Islamic faith. You're saying uh, that they would be relieved to know that everything they've been through over the past couple of decades, that there were no Muslims that were piloting the planes on 9-11, correct? Right. As a matter of fact, I don't know whether I should announce this, but yeah, I, I will. I, was, I said it on Twitter, but uh, we're handing out flyers here and we've got a PowerPoint presentation that I do uh, if we can get groups of people together. And well, there's uh, 240 million Muslims in Pakistan alone. It's a, people don't realize Pakistan's the fifth most populous country in the world and the second most densely populated Muslim country after Indonesia, 98% are Muslims there. And that's about 240 million people. So uh, we're, we're gonna try, we're trying to get PowerPoint presentation any way we can. I've, I've been on, uh, Malaysian TV a couple times. I did a radio show in Casablanca, Morocco, and they had me on TV here. My wife knew uh, the owner of a TV station, national TV station, and he brought me on on September 11th a couple of years ago. And my opener, when the guy asked me a question was, uh, 
Yeah, Osama bin Laden had absolutely nothing to do with the planning and execution of the events of 9-11. And that was the last statement that strong I was able to make. He gave me powder puff questions after that. So they don't, nobody wants to talk about it. You know what? Uh, you know, and, and by the way, you've energized me and the light has come on. Something that you've already realized that if you go to a very powerful force of strength and numbers, there are hundreds of millions of Muslims that deserve to know the truth. Would you be right. willing, uh, because there's a couple of very powerful Islamic centers here in Ohio. What if I were to go to one of the biggest mosques and in their education uh, curriculum, would you be willing to give a presentation to them uh, remotely? Oh, sure, sure, yeah. I, I could do that. I mean, I, I've done uh, jobs of these podcasts and uh, radio programs and online TV programs and the like, so I'd be happy to do that if you give me the contact. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, that's that's what's energizing me here is um, uh, is to reach. You know, with all due respect to our audience, you know, this is easy. We're an echo chamber. You know, we can we can conspiracy theorize because we're a bunch of conspiracy nuts and we factualize things. We do a responsible job. Stu Peters, you know, his audience is going to be receptive to it. But we're talking about an echo chamber. Um, but if we start reaching out. And, and, and those are the people like, you know, I'm going to say Democrats and, you know, uh, Democrats that were complaining about voter fraud, for instance. When you go to them and yeah. say, hey, guess what? We agree with you. Voter fraud exists. And here's some evidence of that. Or the Muslim community. Uh, are you finding that they're uh, receptive to this information? So far, yes. As a matter of fact, I went down the street as people were getting out of uh, the flooding out of the mosque and I had these flyers and I started handing them out and I got mobbed and people wanted to know everything that I was talking about and people are saying you can't get away with this as you know the ISI knows I'm here and saying when doing what I'm doing so uh, we've uh, distributed these flyers around the country and uh, hopefully uh, if we can get people that take these flyers and make copies of them and give them to their family, friends, and neighbors, etc., we're hoping to be able to spread the word. Because my sole purpose for doing these uh, these interviews is to try to get people to read our website because we think the information that you know there's conspiracy theories and there's conspiracy facts. Yes, sir. And all we've been presented was fact. Fact: the uninterrupted pilot exists. It existed before 9-11. There's a patent on it, and it does exactly what we said it does. Those are all just facts. And then the fact about Hanjer and the other hijackers. We got witness testimony to support our assertions there. So we've just presented a series of facts and leave it up to people that read the site to decide on their own. Okay. We, we feel very confident that if they get on the site to read it, that they will come away agreeing with what we're saying fact based i love that okay so this is what i'm going to do this is our first meeting and sir i'm honored that you you come on the show i really do and of course you're going to get out wherever wherever you can you haven't been on on alex jones's show no i tried i've tried i'm trying to jimmy door jimmy door it's awesome yeah. I haven't no I haven't been on him. I've been Jimmy. trying but uh, when we were talking about different programs that are 
talking about 9-11. He's one of them also. Yeah, we'll get you in touch with Jimmy Dore and Alex Jones's team as well. Well, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great. This is what I'd like to do in the remaining moments um, that we have right now. I want to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do a special recording. Uh, two little packages here. All right, that I'm gonna make and okay. and have it distributed. You know, I could send an email. I could pick up the phone and call. Uh, but it's gonna be much more powerful when I say I want you to watch this video right here. All right. Um, yeah. And we're we're operating. I say on the fly, but this is such an important topic. Um, what I want you to do is send the message to uh, Alex Jones, who was, by the way, he was the one that woke me up to 9-11 truth. 9-11 okay. being an inside job. Um, he would know with absolute certainty that the information on your website is correct or not. And he would be, he's been the leader in nine, the 9-11 yeah. truth movement. Yeah. So I want Why you not? to tell right. Alex Jones, uh, as the leader in the 9-11 truth movement, uh, tell him just in your own words, uh, what would you want to say to him uh, that that you believe his audience should know about? Well, exactly what we've talked about here, that the, there were no Muslim hijackers controlling the 9-11 aircraft, but that they were electronically hijacked and remotely controlled and get into that system and then talk about the remote control system evolution, how it evolved, and also talk about the hijackers' lack of qualifications drawing one to the conclusion that we've been lied to yes and and here and lastly was, for this recording uh i believe it's also important that i find you to be even more credible that you've forwarded all this information you've got uh uh, a federal case you were fired uh when you became a whistleblower you were retaliated against and nobody in our entire government uh, listed, you, you have copies of the letters on your website, has ever responded to you. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, spent now, a lot of, we spent a lot of money on printing expenses and mailings, because if you got 10 enclosures to one letter, it's a lot of printing and uh, a lot of mailing to do. So Yes, sir. It was, yeah. a, it was a tedious task, but it was worth the effort. Yes, what sir. We, if we didn't succeed in doing anything, Pete, We've shown people that the government's non-responsible. Amen to that. Uh, now, um, I'm, I'm going to reach out because we've got a, a pretty strong, well-organized, oiled machine out here. And since it's kind of like a melting pot in America here in the Midwest, I'm going to reach out to members of the Muslim community and just open themselves up to just maybe discovering some, some truth. I think you can do. Uh, a responsible job. You've done these presentations remotely from uh, Islam. Oh, yeah. yeah I, I do a podcast all the time on the back side of the clock over here. Uh, okay. Can you do a PowerPoint presentation to show some evidence? If if I sat down at one of the uh, uh, the local here, I'm, I'm looking. Uh, we've got the Clifton Mosque, the Islamic Center of Great, Greater Cincinnati. They have huge memberships. So if they brought people in and did a Zoom call, would you be able to do a presentation? Yeah, I could uh, share. I could bring up the uh, PowerPoint presentation on the screen on the Zoom. Outstanding. Good. And I do it with that way, yeah. Yeah, we need to do that because I, I believe that the, you know, uh, the God, God bless us, the people that have taken over 
our government have covered this up for far too long. And going to Congress, they're, they're just as corrupt as the rest of them. Uh, right. We need to reach out to we the people. Uh, and especially those of the uh, the Islamic community that will be shocked to find out that they've been so demonized for decades now, right? Right. Yeah. You know who David Icke is? I sure do. Yeah. He interviewed me on September 11th. As a matter of fact, a guy from a uh, Brit living in Portugal contacts me on Twitter and says, you want a David Icke interview? I said, of course. He goes, I know his wife, stand by, and voila. He interviewed me, and uh, I thought it was a good interview. Uh, Out, outstanding. Um, D David Icke is, uh, you know, he's a truth seeker and a truth teller. He's been doing great work out there. Um, now, again, among us, David Icke, <laughs> Stu Peters, Pete Santilli, Alex, it's our small little echo chamber, I would say, coming away here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you know, of course, share it with your friends and family, but we need to reach out to those that just would be shocked to hear what was discussed in this episode right here. So I want everybody to share this episode and the flyers that you're distributing. You held back on mentioning that uh, the flyers are being distributed in, in Pakistan. Are you encouraging people to do that here in continental United States? I put them I put them out on uh, Twitter and Facebook saying, look, if you want a copy of this. I give him my contact information because just a few clicks I can send it to him. But uh, right now, we've got a major printing operation going on in this. I wish I could show you the uh, this flyer, but at the top of the, in red letters, it says there were no Muslim hijackers controlling the 9-11 aircraft. And it's got a picture of the twin tires there. Outstanding. And it goes into, goes into what we talk about and it gives my contact information on the website. Yep. So. And ladies and gentlemen, hearing our voices as we conclude this conversation, just think about this. Uh, whereas maybe a year or two ago to put out such things, people were hesitant about it because you'd be flagged as a, you know, wingnut conspiracy theorist as an extremist. But no more. Uh, you can share this with your friends and fam this information with your friends and family. They're coming wide awake to this. Humanity is. There's a beautiful, beautiful awakening happening. So, uh, Captain Hanley, sir, what rank were you in the U uh, U.S. Navy? Uh, I made lieutenant commander before I bailed out. I had 10 years in. Lieutenant commander, sir? <laughs> yeah. Right? I salute you. And okay. look, at, look at that awesome smile and that great patriotic spirit. And I assure you, I'm going to do everything I can to put this information on blast. And our audience will certainly get the word out there. I thank you for joining me. Well, thank you, Pete, for having me on. And how, thank you for what you do for everybody else. Oh, oh thank you. By the way, how did I do con considering? Did, did, I, did, you did, did I say something? I grade my host, and you're at the top there, Pete. Oh, thank you, sir. And, and, and I wasn't looking for accolades. I know that you've been in this game a long time. So for me to mention a couple of things that I mentioned. Um, no, they're very good questions, and you, your knowledge of 9-11, and you, you were holding back on me. But I didn't know coming into the interview how much you knew. Yeah, you, I, mean, I thought this maybe is, you were thinking I was a whack-dog conspiracy, not like no, my kids. No, no, no. I, I, I wanted to see because, you know, everyone's got their take on it. I mean, I've got so right. much deep research, you know, over the years. Um, uh, and, and, and people have been suffering info fatigue. Do you know who uh, Dr. Uh, Judy Wood is? Oh, yeah. I know all about her theory, too. Yeah? Her, I never read her book. 
I, I want to encourage you to get that book, Where Did the Towers Go? I, yeah. I studied, and, you know, uh, from, um, you know, uh, the architects uh, for 9-11. Yeah. Richard uh, Gage. Richard Gage. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how uh, connected I am to him and, and how, but Richard Gage. And, and, and you know, there were competing forces. You got the no planers and the, you know, the directed energy weapon. And I believe all of them in some way, shape or form have got a you know, contribution to make to this thing. Uh, the yeah. Muslims did not fly planes into the towers. <laughs> uh, ultimately, right. if you combine them all, right. right? Um, that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line, sir. Um, so, so, uh, so lastly here, uh, I'm going to set out on a mission. This is what's driving me right now. Avril Haynes, we're going to pick on her. I want her brought before a military tribunal because yeah. I'll tell you what, I know she was at event 201 and she helped to cover up the Wuhan lab leak period. I have her nailed, but I could present to a jury that she was involved in the cover up because she had to have known. She was sitting next to yeah. George Gao. She knew about the Wuhan lab leak from three weeks prior. President Trump knows this, too, by the way. Do you remember when he mentioned that there were satellite images and then he knew something was going on at Wuhan? No, I didn't. I didn't hear that one. Yes. Now, uh, in in October of 2019, there were satellite images. And how do I know this? I heard about it. It was a conspiracy theory. But there were seven of the eight CIA whistleblowers that were investigating the Wuhan lab leak. And they were bribed to keep their mouths shut. And they came forth to Congress and blew the whistle on what their work was. That in October of 2019, the Wuhan lab, there were satellite images. The parking yeah. lot was empty one day. And then the next day, the Chinese military came in. And two weeks later, Avril Haynes and the CDC director for the Chinese were doing Event 201 to cover up the lab leak. So I'd wow. like her brought before a military tribunal. Maybe we'll give her a pass on on the cover-up of the Wuhan lab, but we're not going to give her a pass on receiving your information and not responding to it. Yeah, well, thank you. Yes, sir. Pete. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Stay strong. I will be in touch with you, sir. Wonderful. Thank you, Pete. Thanks thank you. for everything you do. Thank you very, very much. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let, let, me, uh, let me over over dramatize the importance of that that gathering with captain hanley um like i said i i knew of his site i got briefed i knew what i was going to be going into and how he responded to some of the things that i said and his candor with some of the knowledge that he has He's a very very courageous man absolutely a courageous man to continue in this fight because when you come as close to the truth as Captain Dan Hanley has come um, you put your you put your life there's very very powerful forces but I want to to say this there is nothing more powerful an inconquerable force uh, that is we the people that when we find out the truth about the crimes being perpetrated upon humanity oof my goodness, uh, those very, very evil people that would ever perpetrate those crimes have a lot to worry about. But don't sit back. Don't, don't suffer from info fatigue. We will never back down. We will never give up. We will never give in uh, to save our fellow man and woman 
not just in the United States of America. Sure, it's America first for us right now, but that's to set a example for the entire world to see. Um, Deb Santilli. Yes. Uh, I want you to, you know how fired up I am. You know, mm-hmm. I've how, mm-hmm. how much I've, I've been in this game, and I want to send a special message out to... Let's say this. I'm going to send a special message out to Stephen Myrie, U.S. attorney for the state of Nevada, who has in his possession CIA and FBI whistleblower testimony, one of which is about 9-11 truth and Osama bin Laden. Uh, And in Captain uh, Dan Hanley's honor, uh, I'm going to make sure that we kind of revisit that, uh, uh, him being in possession of this information and him not coming forth. He should be sitting right next to uh, Abril Haynes when brought up by proper authorities. So what, what say you before we go? I say that was really a great interview and one of the best. Um, I'm glad to see, you know, that, that we're going back to revisit this once again with, uh, with somebody who has a totally different take on it. Can you just please call me a fine wine? <laughs> you are a fine wine. I've been on the shelf on 9-11 Truth for a little while, huh? Yeah, you I'm have. ready to rock and roll. Yeah. I think the people are ready to receive this. And it, it is time to start holding people accountable for their crimes against humanity. Mm. You know, uh, uh, retaliating, although it's a terrible thing. Uh, it's just further evidence of your crimes retaliating against Captain Dan Hanley. Um, you will, yeah. you, you can retaliate against him, but you can't retaliate against billions of us that are about to come upon you with the truth. Well, I, you know, it's par for the course here in the United States of America. Uh, you know, you get retaliated against. That's it by yeah. the government. That's an old yeah. stale eighties trick. Okay. Mm-hmm. Try something new. Okay. Oh, it still works though. Oh, it still works. <laughs> well, watch, watch it this, still works. you know, uh, Hey, listen, the, the whole COVID thing and, and, and their destruction of the United States of America, it's all backfired on them. Mm-hmm. You look at, they can't even arrest president Trump. We would still vote for him anyway. That won't work. Right. I mean, mm. you know, and, and, and this isn't about president Trump right now in this discussion. President Trump knows the truth. The bottom line is, um, you can't make us go away. <laughs> we're we're going to vote for President. Truth I'm going to vote for President Trump. I'm going to vote for the person that they hate the most. How there about that? Go. There you go. All right. We'll be back at uh, 4 o'clock. At 4 o'clock today. Yep. Uh, are you going to join me at 4 o'clock? Uh, I don't know. We'll have to talk about that. Four o'clock on LFA TV. For the Santilla Report. For the Santilla Report. And Deb Jordan may be joining me. We're not going to back down. You never know. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everybody. Share this episode like crazy. Take care, sir. I'll be back in touch with you. Okay, thank you, ground. Hi, I'm Phil.
Nico Chrysler, President and CEO of Impact Health Sharing. Healthcare sharing began in churches. You were asked to contribute to help Bob and Sue with their ailment. People passed the hat and you contributed what you could to help your fellow member in need. Then fast forward, you saw great things occurring in the Amish and Mennonite communities doing exactly the same thing. Then it got a little more formalized in the 80s with some religious based organizations. And then the Affordable Care Act came along. That's really what propelled healthcare sharing to its modern day growth. You remember the individual mandate penalized you with a tax if you didn't have health insurance. But if you were a member of certain healthcare sharing organizations, you didn't have to pay that. Now we know the individual mandate has of course been reduced to zero. But in the meantime, healthcare sharing grew over a thousand percent in the last decade alone. Why? Because it's an alternative to the high cost of insurance. Typically you'll pay 30 to 50% less. Some reasons why we're not for profit. So we have no profit motives that typically cause conflict between members, providers, shareholders, and the executive team. None of that exists with healthcare sharing and certainly with impact. You can stop overpaying my friends. Here's an important statistic to understand why. Department of Health and Human Services says about 5% of the population account for nearly half of the healthcare spending that occurs in this country. Majority are healthy. They're overpaying though for the non-healthy. Insurance has become really no longer affordable. 80% of US adults rate lowering their healthcare costs as their top concern. So why impact? Well, we're rooted in the love thy neighbor approach, which allows us to welcome all races, all religions, all colors, all creeds. We were the very first healthcare sharing entity to launch this patented technology platform that really provides 100% transparency. This had never been done before in healthcare sharing, certainly not in health insurance. We have member owned accounts. That way the money stays in your account. We have no network. You get to see any doctor you want. Again, providing uh, full transparency on how all the money moves is something we're really, really proud of. And you, of course, you have no open enrollment restrictions. Membership begins the first of every month. You just got to finish that application by the last day of the previous month. We also have great pricing and programs for individuals, for families, for seniors, and for groups. And remember friends, it's a comprehensive program for your health. So we have preventative services, maternity, accident, illness, and of course injuries. You have access to telemedicine and an industry leading prescription drug pricing program. My friends, what we are simply doing is leveraging your sense of community with technology to control the cost of healthcare. I hope you'll join us. Save as much as 30 to 70% on your healthcare costs. Get a free quote from Impact by visiting impactmyhealthshare.com. Click the link below or scan the QR code on the screen to visit our website automatically. Uh, is this the office of the director of national intelligence uh, help desk? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I needed to get a, a message about a conversation I just had with uh, somebody in Islamabad, Pakistan, uh, to the, the director of national intelligence, uh, Avril Haines. Okay. 
But I don't want to go to voicemail. This is an urgent national security issue. Okay. What's your name? My name is Pete Santilli. What's the last name? S-A-N-T-I-L-L-I. Okay, and a callback number for you? Uh, it is 513- Okay, and it's regarding to what again, sir? Uh, in regards to a conversation I just had with somebody in Islamabad, Pakistan. Uh, evidence. Uh, on, well, I, I don't need to go into all the details, but I need to speak with uh, with Averill Haynes because she's in possession of the document. Um, she'll she'll know what it's referencing. Averill Haynes? Averill Haynes. She's your director of national intelligence. Wh- who is this? What's your name? Averill Haynes. She's your boss. What, what's your name? I'll add it in and, and take down the message for you, and I'll relay it. Okay, you're at the help desk. How do I know who you are? are, are you said you're at the help desk at the office of the director of national intelligence, and you don't know what your boss's name is. What the frig is this? Huh? Hey, did she just hang up on me? Really? She just hung up on me. Santilli, and I just spoke with one of your chimpanzees at the uh, help desk, who I mentioned Averill Haynes' name, the director of national intelligence, and that chimpanzee answering your phones had no idea who that was, first of all. Secondly, this is a national security issue relating to a document that Averill Haynes has, and I would like to speak with her. I gave uh, that help desk person my telephone number. She happened to hang up on me, by the way. Um, this is a matter of national security. My telephone number is 513. Uh, and, uh, I need you to call me back. It's a matter of national security. I just spoke with somebody in Islamabad, Pakistan. Uh, it's very, very important and uh, not to be hung up on. And if I have to come there and deliver it to Averill Haynes, myself, we're gonna have to do that. This is a serious issue, uh, being hung up on by your, um, whoever it is that you have answering the phones is not very comforting knowing that our security is in the hands of the people in your ODNI offices. Uh, my name is Pete Santilli. Don't Google me before you call me, whatever you do. All right, bye. <coughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not backing down from this. That that woman, Averill Haynes, needs to be brought up by a military tribunal, period. Okay? I know she's going to sound all powerful and everything. Of course, since she got promoted by Joe Biden, 
to investigate the Wuhan lab leak. She's the one that was at Event 201. That freaking chick received a letter from Captain Hanley, and she's not responded to it. We're going to get a response from her. I promise you. I promise you. They've killed thousands of people. They've killed mil- 9-11 in the Twin Towers. They've killed millions of people. That woman needs to be brought up for a military tribunal. So, help me God, we're going to make that happen. I'm so sick and tired of these freaking pukes. Are you not sick and tired of it? Are you not sick and tired of it? Hmm? I'm so sick and tired of these freaking murderous pukes. You know what? And we're not going to harm them either. You know what we're going to do? We're going to keep them around and freaking torture them with the truth. What if there was a product that could help you control cravings, burn more fat, boost your metabolism, promote healthy blood glucose levels, lower inflammation, optimize insulin sensitivity, support healthy blood lipid levels, and support healthy blood pressure. Introducing Bellatrim. Bellatrim may be the most comprehensive body transformation product in the world. Weight management is more than calories in and calories out. It's about controlling appetite, having a healthier gut, supporting insulin function, stimulating fat-burning metabolism, and promoting healthy blood lipids and blood pressure. A proprietary blend backed by six clinical studies. Control cravings. Burn more fat. Bellatrim, powered by nature. Backed by science. Sign up for monthly auto ship and get a big discount. Visit pete.bellagraceglobal.com today. That's pete.bellagraceglobal.com today.